This morning we continue our series called Misquoted. We have been talking about verses that are not in the Bible, that you may have thought were in the Bible. And part of why we're doing this is this entire year of 2018, uh, we really have been focusing in on listening for the voice of God. It's why we're doing the prayer summit next week. It's why we're doing the series that we're doing throughout the year. Uh, we have one more week of this, and then we will be transitioning into our pre-Easter series where we will be talking about Jesus and prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a series I'm really looking forward to. I think it's going to lead us right into Easter, which is on April Fool's this year, okay? So you'll be like, I'm inviting you to Easter, and it's not April Fool's, even though it's April Fool's, right? I've been giving you tips throughout this series because I want us to be uh, astute readers of the Bible. I want us to read the Bible well together. And so um, I've been giving us tips and thoughts throughout the series on how do we listen to the Bible well. And so today's Listen to the Bible tip of the week is in your outline, and it is this. Look for the big idea. Look for the big idea. Um, this is what I do each and every Monday morning, and I think to myself, I gotta do that again on Sunday, right? I've heard one pastor who said it this way, um, as a pastor you think, I, I have something, I have to say something on Sunday, but you don't know if you necessarily have something to say, okay? That's just what we wake up with every single Monday morning. But what I do when I typically look at these, um, passages is I look for the big idea. When I sit down and I study the Bible and I read a passage or a section, really one of the things, this is a really good, helpful tip is to go, what is this saying to me? What's the big idea? What really matters in this passage? We'll circle back to that at the end, but put that in your back pocket and use that as you study the Bible this week. Our fake verse of the week is this. It's out of 1st Apronians 4.18. Could have been out of 1st Tony Robbins 4.18 as well. And it is this. You have to forgive yourself. Have you ever heard this phrase? Tell me, have you heard this phrase? Okay, be honest. How many of you thought it was in the Bible? Like it was in, you thought maybe it's in there. No? Okay. We're pretty smart on this. Okay. But you're like, it still does sound good, right? You have to forgive Yourself. See, this phrase is commonly found in the self-help section. The self-help section. Now, I have a picture of a self-help section here for dogs. 100 ways to get your belly scratched. The joy of cow pat rolling. That's my favorite right there. From cat chaser to cat catcher in three days and barking for dummies, right? <laughs> Love it. Have you ever been to a bookstore and you've walked into the self-help section and you see this massive section of self-help books? You may have seen a book that was titled, You Need to Forgive Yourself, or Forgiving Yourself, or How to Forgive Yourself in 30 Days, or something to that nature, right? Um, it's incredible. You know, I, I occasionally go down the Google hole, right? You go down the Google hole sometimes, right? And I just typed in self I typed in this phrase, you have to forgive yourself. And I am telling you, there is a lot of people who want to tell you how to forgive yourself. There are books on it. There are articles on it. There are podcasts on it. There are even sermons on it. And some of them uh, really give you the idea that this is something that might actually be in the Bible. Um, and we live in a self-help world. 
I think if we're really honest, we, we, we get to the end of December every year and we think, I need to get a little bit better in this upcoming year. We live in a society that says, you know, help yourself. We circle back to this uh, passage that wasn't a real passage at the beginning of this series called God Helps Those Who Help Themselves. We kind of we like that idea. Um, we read books about how to lose weight. We listen to articles about how to gain confidence. We listen to podcasts about how to become the best you. We listen to teachers teach about how to live a better life now. And it sounds really good, doesn't it? It sounds really good. It sounds like, yeah, this is, this is something I need to lean into. It's what Tony Robbins has made millions on. It, it's what all these self-help gurus have made millions on, is that you need to be the best version of you. You need to help yourself. You need to forgive yourself. And see, um, there, there's a problem with this thinking, especially when it comes to forgiveness. And, and, and here, here's the heart of this problem when it comes to forgiveness. We can't forgive ourselves. I, I understand this phrase. I understand that it's often linked to you saying, well, Brian, but I'm stuck in this guilt. I'm stuck in this shame. I just keep replaying these sins over and over and over again. And if I could just get over it, then it would be a whole new day tomorrow. But the reality is you're not a very good savior, are you? I'm not. I'm not a very good savior. And so when we say things like this, when we say you have to forgive yourself, uh, what's really insidious in this is that there's this thought that like we know better than God somehow, right? I saw this hilarious little article. I want to share it with you. Uh, Somebody shared this with me. It's a fantastic little article in the Babylon Bee. Have you ever seen the Babylon Bee? It is amazing. Like there's articles about worship leaders getting caught in the fog machine fog. And anyway, it's, they're not real articles. It's like the onion. Have you read the onion? It's like the Christian onion. And here is an article in the Babylon Bee and it's titled this. I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, says woman whose moral compass is more developed than God's. Goes on to say this. In Aurora, Indiana. I don't even know if there is an Aurora, Indiana. While we, while she understands the entirety of her forgiveness in God's eyes, granted by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which absolves her of any and all guilt now and forever, while simultaneously imputing her with the very righteousness of God the Son, local believer Kim Calhoun, due to her incredibly developed sense of morality, which eclipses even God's, revealed to sources Thursday that she cannot forgive herself for her past transgressions. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek article, but it really it really gets at this idea that that we know better. That somehow we can fix this, that somehow we can make this better, that if we only would forgive ourselves, if we'd only forgive ourselves from the guilt and the shame and the pain, we could get past whatever's holding us back. And the reality is, you can't forgive yourself. Only Jesus can forgive you. And the wide acceptance of this phrase reveals something that is, it's age old, right? It, It reveals original sin. Next point in your outline. The wide acceptance of this phrase reveals the original sin that we had in this world. You know the story. So 
God creates the heavens and the earth in seven days, and he creates it what? Perfect, right? There's, there's, no, there's, no, there's no cancer, there's no divorce, there's no, um, there's no tsunamis, there's no school shootings, there, there's nothing like that. It's perfect. And God's in perfect relationship with His kids, and His kids are in perfect relationship with the Almighty God who knows everything. And then the serpent climbs into this story. And the serpent comes to Eve and, and slithers around and says, Hey, hey, did, did God really say? Like, did, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that one tree? And Eve says, no, God said, I shouldn't even touch it or we'll die. And he's, no, no. See, God's got to, he's hiding, he's, he's keeping things from you. He's keeping things from you. Do you know what, Eve? He says this, if you eat from that tree, you will be, anybody know the phrase? You will be what? Like God. Somebody said it. You will be like God, which is crazy because she was already like God. Right? If you read one chapter before, she was made in the image and the likeness of God. And so the serpent twists the words and says, I'm going to tempt you into this. I'm going to tempt you into saying, you can do better by yourself. You can figure this out. You can fix this. And the deceiver deceives Eve. And the deceiver deceives Adam who's standing right there. Guys, we don't get out of it. In fact, the question is, why didn't we say anything? That's a whole nother sermon, right? But we're there in the garden when original sin enters into the world. And guess what comes? Brokenness. Broken relationships. Um... A, a broken environment, a brokenness inside ourselves. And, and I was thinking about this this week because we want to go back to this original sin and say, we can fix this. Somehow we can fix this. We still believe this. I mean, I, my heart goes out to these school shootings. I, I remember in 1999, 1998, when the Columbine shooting first happened and I was in high school. And I remember for the rest of the year thinking, okay, if somebody comes into my building, into our building, where am I going to, how am I getting my sisters out? And it was just this, it was just changed my whole perspective on whether I was safe, how, how this world worked, whether, whether or not I could even trust just going to school safely. And, and, and this week I saw this barrage of, of chatter about how to fix this. Right there, there was folks who were saying, "This is what we can do to fix this." There was debates about gun laws and mental health, and and there's all these debates, and everybody's saying something, saying something, saying something. Lots of people saying something. Very few people listening. Very interesting. Let's just say though that we could solve school shootings, right? Let's just say there's no more school shootings. We never have one ever again. What, what if we could solve that? We could come up with the magic pill. We could fix that. We could fix that as humanity. What about sex trafficking? What about labor camps? What about terrorism? What about cancer? What about divorce? What about your heart and my heart that is wayward, that, that thinks about ourselves before we think of someone else? See, this is our condition, our original sin. We are sinners. The problem isn't that we sin. The problem is that we are sinners. We are sinners. It's not that we lie, it's that we're liars. It's not that we just hate people, it's that we're haters. 
And we cannot fix it. And I hear this, these articles, and I, I don't want to say that we should just not talk about them. I think we should have healthy debate. I think Christians should lean in on these things. But the reality is, there is only one person who can fix all of this, and his name is Jesus. And none of this is all going to get fixed until he returns and his kingdom comes fully and, and, and heaven and earth collide and there is a return to perfection. Until then, we live in what C.S. Lewis calls the now but not yet. That Jesus has died for our sins, that, that we have been fully forgiven, but yet we wake up every day struggling with our sins. And so we need forgiveness. We don't need to forgive ourselves. We need somebody who's bigger and better and who understands everything and can actually forgive us. And thank you kids for coming back into the service from base camp. Um, this is our family time. We're going to have a little family sermon time. Because I want to talk about forgiveness. I want to talk about forgiveness this morning. Because we're going to participate in this meal at the end of this service. And so I want to get really clear on the pathway to forgiveness. Because we need to recognize that sin is our problem. And we can't fix it. So the pathway to forgiveness. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 John. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. We're going to look for the big idea in 1 John 1, 8 and 9. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. John, Jesus' beloved disciple. Guy who knew Jesus intimately. He was, he was so close to Jesus. He knew the heart of Jesus. And he writes this. I'm going to read it through and then we'll break it apart. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So let's break it apart. The pathway to forgiveness. Number one, um, we need to recognize our sins. We need to recognize our sins. This is a big, big um, taste of humble pie, which in our day and age, people don't like to eat apparently, right? We don't like to eat humble pie these days. But we need to recognize our sin. It says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we're honest, if we're honest, we will recognize that there is war within ourselves. That, that we don't always think of the other's needs before we think of our needs. We often, most often, think of our needs before we think of the other's needs. We know that we, are, we have greedy little hearts. We know that we, we, we are broken. That we don't, I've said this, I say this all the time. We don't even hit our own target, right? We don't even hit our own target, let alone the perfection of the target that God sets, Right? And so we need to recognize our sin. Kids, if you just joined us, so what, all that means is this, okay? It means you need to know, like, there's some things that I don't do right. Like, Pastor Brian, man, he recognizes his sin. he got some things in his life that he's got to work on. You could, you could ask my son Eli. Daddy gets angry sometimes, and it's not always justified, right? It's not, right, Eli? Sometimes Daddy gets a little angry, and it's just not justified. And Daddy has to, oh, he's hiding, he's hiding. 
Daddy has to say he's sorry, not just to Eli when he loses his temper. He's got to say he's sorry to God. See, recognizing our sins is simple. It's just saying, listen, I have things in my life that are broken. I have areas in my life where I'm not hitting the mark. And I need to look in the mirror and I need to see clearly what I'm seeing in the mirror. And everything that I'm seeing is not beautiful. Some of it is broken and ugly. And we need to recognize that before God. If we do, then the truth is in us. If we don't, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Notice we don't deceive God. We deceive ourselves because God knows, right? So we recognize our sins. We repent from our sins. So we recognize our sins. We repent from our sins. So the verse goes on. If we confess our sins, that means, kids, we just say we're sorry. If you had this conversation where like, okay, boys, you get in a fight with your brother, right? You ever been in a fight with your brother? A couple of them, two, three, four, more than that, okay? And then maybe your dad says something like this, say sorry to him. You ever had that? Hey, go say sorry to your brother, yeah? It, it's simply saying you're sorry. When, when David confesses his sin against, against Bathsheba, he, he says this, against you, God, alone have I sinned. And so the second, the, the second step here, the pathway of forgiveness, is to repent from your sins. The word repent means to turn. It means to turn. I, I remember being taught this a long time ago. Um, the pastor who pastored me for a long time, he said, it's like you're in a car and you're driving in the wrong direction, right? And there's a big cliff and you're about to go off it. Repentance means actually um, to turn, and go back to the road. And I like that. Like I've taught, I've actually taught that before in this church. But I was thinking about this. I was dwelling upon it even more this week. It, and here's, here's where I'd like to fix that. It's more like actually you're not driving, but you're just walking in the wrong direction. And you turn around and God is right there. See, see even, even in the midst of this whole idea of repentance, we want to make it about us. We can save ourselves. We've got to turn the car around. We've got to get back to the right road. And then Jesus loves us again. But that's not the story. See, the story is that Jesus passionately pursues us every single day of our life. And the second we just, we start saying, I'm sorry. It's like, I'm so, and he's like, I got you. I got you. I know what you're going to say. I know every word before it even hits your tongue, right? So I got you. If you turn to me, I am right there. You don't have to climb back out of the pit. You don't have to get back on the right road. I'm right there all the time, listening for your voice, wanting to hear you. I want you to repent. So we recognize our sins. We repent of our sins. We just turn around to God. And then last, we receive forgiveness. We receive forgiveness from God. So, here's the verse. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, He is God here. God is faithful and just. And this is the heart of what we're going to talk about here in a moment, right? This is the heart of what we're going to participate here in a moment. Because God is faithful to his promise. Right after the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. Right after it. God made a promise that he was faithful to. That the serpent, the serpent would strike at the heel of the woman. But that the seed of the woman would crush his head. 
And right there in your, in your, uh, next to that passage in your Bible, you should put Jesus. It's the first time that we talk about Jesus in the Bible. The promise of the faithful one. The promise of the one who's going to come save us. The promise of the Messiah. The entire Bible, we talked about this last week. The entire Bible talks about Jesus. We read the Bible through Jesus-colored glasses so we can see Jesus in every single passage in here. And we receive forgiveness from Jesus because this is what this meal is about. Jesus gave himself to a cross. Because God is just. He's not just faithful, He's just. Someone had to pay for the sins of the world. Humanity couldn't save Himself, but God sent Himself, His one and only Son, God in the flesh, to become us, to become human, to put on our flesh, and then offer a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And so he was faithful and justice was done in the death of Jesus. And when we celebrate Good Friday and we celebrate Easter, what we're celebrating is Jesus dying for our sins so that we just get to turn and receive the gift of salvation. Our past, our present, our future sins, Jesus turned. He just says, I, yeah, I got that. You can throw them on my back. I've got the weight of the sin of the world upon me, and I will take that for you. He stepped into our place. He, He accepted the death we should have received so that we may have life. And all we need to do is receive. It's like a gift, right? You can reject a gift, can you not? But we are called to receive the gift. So we recognize our sins. We know that we're sinful. Right? We repent from our sins. We just say to God, I'm, I'm sorry, God. And then we receive forgiveness. This meal reminds us that we are forgiven. We receive this meal. There's going to be two elders who stand up here. And they're going to, they're going to serve you the elements. And I, and I believe this. You are meant to be served this meal. You're not meant to take this meal. You, 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 can't, you can't grab this meal for yourself. Somebody else gave this meal for you. And so you receive this meal. And the big idea of this passage is simply this. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. So there's this beautiful sign in... Come on, Dad, where's that at? Dad, come on, where's that at? Right there. Come on. Can you see it? It says, Jesus saves. It's lit up. Come on, Dad. Yeah. No, yes. No, Dad. Downtown Denver. At the Denver Rescue Mission. That's right. My dad's here from Denver. Um, there's this, this little sign, Downtown Denver, outside the Denver Rescue Mission where they, they house the homeless, they feed the homeless. They reach out and minister to the heart of the city of Denver. And that light never goes off. So you can go there at 2 in the morning, coming out of a bar. You've already made some bad decisions, and you can see this light that says, Jesus saves. You can be walking down the street, and and, and you can be um, thinking about that business deal or whatever, you can look up and see that Jesus saves. You can be driving down the street and cut somebody off and wave to them in California and and you can look up, right? And you can see that Jesus saves. 
So I heard this this week, and I think it's just beautiful. Uh, I heard a pastor who was asked, how do you deal with your sin? Like, how do you deal with sins that just, like, keep nagging you? They keep coming back to you, like sins that you can't get over. And the pastor paused for a while, and he looked at the interviewer, and he said, I don't really think about sin that much anymore. I just try to spend all my time with Jesus. See, some of us want to forgive ourselves, and we can't forgive ourselves. Only Jesus can forgive ourselves, and we just need to be with Jesus more. Because, listen, we love to listen to the deceiver, to let this deceiver pull up at the table and tell us lies and tell us, um, you're never going to get past this. God could never forgive you from that. That's what the deceiver says. The deceiver says, you're going to be stuck in this repetitive sin for the rest of your life. You should be guilty. You should feel ashamed. You're worthless. Nobody loves you. That's what the deceiver says. And so we buy into this and then we think, well, i got, I got to just forgive myself. Instead, we need to hang out with the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. We need to hang out with Jesus. We need to en- engage in this meal and hear Jesus say to us, listen, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, I created you. I know you. I know everything about you. And I still love you. I smile down on you. I am always with you. I'm quoting some scripture here, okay? I'm not, I'm not giving you the verses, but I'm quoting scripture. I'm always with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I forgive you. I love you. I want, to, I want to pick you up as a little child, place you in my lap, put my hand upon you and tell you I want to bless you. I want to raise you from death to life. I want to make you new. I want to give you life to the fullest. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm God. And I want to be in loving relationship with you. See, some of us just need to stop hanging out with our sin so much and the deceiver so much. And we need to start hanging out with Jesus more. I'm going to transition to communion. Kiddos, if you had some conversation with your parents around this, I'd invite you to partake in this meal. If you understand these things, listen, listen, kids, are you with me? Because we love having you in here. If you understand, hey, I'm, I've got sins. I've got things that are broken in my life. If you understand that I need to say I'm sorry to God for those things, then you are, are um, invited to the table to receive this meal. It's really, really, really that simple. And you'll grow in your understanding and your, your knowledge of this. But even on the most simple level, I want you to understand that Jesus forgives you when you say you're sorry. And that's what this meal is all about. It's about Jesus' sacrifice for you on the cross. So if you've had that conversation with your parents and they give you the thumbs up, yeah, go ahead, take communion. That's awesome. If you haven't had that conversation, you don't need to feel any pressure, okay? We're going to do this every single month now. We're going to invite you guys over. I'm not going to do this mini-sermon every single month, but you're going to come over every single month. We're going to keep giving your parents um, helpful hints on these conversations they want to have with you so they can teach you about this beautiful meal that represents the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus broken and given freely for you. I want to invite the worship team to come up and lead me in a song as we partake in communion. I also want to invite Alan Johnson and Rick Donaldson to come and serve communion for us. 
Uh, the way we take communion, if you're new here, you come up, grab a piece of the bread off of the bread, dip it in the juice, and then just to help with any confusion, all right? Here's, here's what I want you to think about as we enter into communion. So there's this story about this guy named Peter. Anybody know Peter in the Bible? He's kind of presumptuous and he puts his foot in his mouth a lot and um, he's a fisherman. So he's not, he's not exactly the A squad, we'll say, okay? He's kind of like a B minus maybe. And Peter is one of Jesus' beloved disciples. And there's this really cool moment where Jesus comes walking out on the water to a boat full of disciples. You know the story? You heard the story maybe? So they're out in this boat and there's wind and there's waves and, and they're out in the middle of, I believe, the Sea of Galilee. And, and all of a sudden Jesus comes walking out and they think it's a ghost. They're like, there's, there's a ghost hovering above the water coming towards us. <laughs> and they recognize that it's Jesus. And Peter, being Peter, says, Lord, if it's you, let me come walk out to you. And so Jesus beckons him to come walk out to him. And, and so we, we love this story because we're like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I've seen David Blaine. He can walk on water too. I would love to be able to walk on water. And we see the bravery of Peter and, and, and he steps out of the boat. And he steps out and he's standing on the water. And he starts walking to Jesus. He starts walking to Jesus. He starts walking to Jesus. And then what does he look around and see? Anybody know? The storm. He sees the wind and the waves. He sees the chaos of the sea around him. He gets distracted. And he takes his eyes off Jesus. And what starts happening is he starts to sink. And in that moment, he prays the prayer that we all pray when we're sinking. Help! Right? That's the, that's the prayer we pray, right? Okay? And Jesus reaches down to save him because Peter had taken his eye off of Jesus. See, some of us have taken our eyes off of Jesus. And this meal is a moment for you to put your eyes back on him. It's a moment for you to look up in the midst of your sin and your brokenness and for you to reach out a hand and for you for you to receive Jesus' hand and be pulled up out of the water because Jesus saves. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would nourish us through this meal. I pray that we would come feeling a deep sense of who you are. God, I pray for um, the kiddos in here who are thinking about coming up and have talked to their parents about it. I pray that you would bless them through this meal. Jesus, thank you that you love us. You died for us. We have been adopted into your family. And we are forever changed. God, we want to keep our eyes on you And so would you just feed us in this meal? Would you allow us to be, to have our eyes just clearly fixed on you this morning as we receive your body broken for us and your blood shed for us on the cross to forgive us of our sins? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.